0: So, is that that right? Is that good? good? Donna, I think she left. Thank you. Well, I'll tell her thank you later. But that was a huge blessing to me to see her pray through Psalm 139. Ladies, I am so glad to be here for this last time with you. And you are such amazing women. I'm looking around the room and I'm still seeing people that I didn't get to meet way over there behind Julie. <laughs> I didn't get to know your names and for that I'm sorry, but um, I tried to meet most of you. And I am so thankful for the richness that you gave me on this weekend. I am, Donna, thank you. <laughs> I'm so grateful to the leadership at Restoration Road that they have been praying for me and that they determined that this is what the Lord wanted because in turn, it showered blessings on my life as I studied, and I've been very excited to bring this last talk to you because I have to give you a little bit of my story. I came to faith in Christ as an eighth grader, and I think I shared this last time, this wonderful friend of mine was talking to me on the phone and she said Mary do you are you a christian and i said yes i believe in god and this was the eighth grade girl's response well mary even the demons believe and they shudder <laughs> And I was very, very concerned because I hadn't heard about demons because I wasn't into horror and um, let alone that there was something more that maybe I hadn't done because she was likening me to a demon. And so I, I was really concerned. And she encouraged me to come with her to the church that I attended for 50 years and I I was so blessed growing up in that church because I had very sound biblical doctrine. And I am eternally grateful to the teachers and preachers that I had during that 50 years that valued so highly the word of God, valued relationship with Jesus, and encouraged my walk with the Father. And now I will put a period and I will write however and a comma. I grew up, I'm 68, so in the 60s I was just beginning my teen years. And during that time, there was a lot of unrest in our nation. Now I was a teenage girl, I could have cared less. All of my... The boys in my class, of course, they were nervous about the Vietnam War and the draft. So there was just a lot of unsettled life. And in that, of course, in that movement and then the hippie revolution and free love, alongside of that, as God always does, he raises up a group of followers. And it was called the Jesus Movement. And those of you that are old enough to remember this period of time, along with that Jesus movement came a very um, large movement also in the charismatic area. And some of it was very good and some of it was extreme as that often happens. And I had a friend in that time who said, have you been baptized with the Spirit? And I said, Be- having had good doctrine in the church, yes, as I came to know Christ, I was given the Holy Spirit. And she then said, oh no, oh no, there is a second baptism. And that threw me for a loop, and I, I um, struggled with that. And I, in, the, in the church that I grew up, there was a concern that people were going to be unable to discern the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if I see any nods here that you understand this um, or experience this, but the Holy Spirit was placed in a box. And my understanding was limited and almost suspicious. And. In my 70s, I mean in the 70s and 80s, then Frank Peretti wrote his book, um, This Present Darkness, which also highlighted the spirit world to me and made me all the more concerned. And of course, we were taught you have to, you have to discern the spirits, make sure they are true. And I agree with that completely, that's in the Bible, we are to do that. But unfortunately, I have not learned to delight in the Holy Spirit like I should. And I think that this study has been a huge blessing. Of course I believed in the Holy Spirit, and of course my church taught about the Holy Spirit, but it was very, very constrained. So in this study, it has been a huge blessing to me to dig deeper and to understand and to learn about our Holy Spirit. I listened to some fabulous sermons that A.W. Tozer had given. And you can actually find him speaking on YouTube if you didn't know that. I mean, he's an old guy. And I also found something that I would encourage all of you to go find on your phone, not now, but <laughs> a chance. if you write down how to be filled with the Holy Spirit by A.W. Tozer. Moody Press has a website where the entire book will come up. So you can read it. It's a 365-day devotional. And I was so excited to find that. It's beautiful. And in one of his sermons, you know, he talked about how the evangelical church separated kind of from the Holy Spirit in that time and did not preach the Holy Spirit in a way that was accurate to who the Holy Spirit is. So anyway, this is going to be, uh, this, this um, session, I'm going to be sharing with you what the Lord has taught me anew about the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? These are quotes from A.W. Tozer. He is indivisible from the Father and the Son, so that if you were to be suddenly transferred to heaven itself, you wouldn't be any closer to God than you are now, for God is already here. The Holy Spirit is not only a being having another mode of existence, but he is himself a person with all the qualities and powers of personality. He is not matter, but he is substance. He is the sweetest most understanding and wonderful teacher in the world and he never panics anybody it is sin that does that he is the epitome of love kindliness geniality warm attractiveness and sweetness the holy spirit has will and intelligence and feeling and knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and see and think and hear and speak and desire the same as any person has. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is a person, not a force, not a thing, not an it. As with God the Father and God the Son, the Holy Spirit is eternally self-existent. He is unchangeable. He is all-merciful, all-loving, all-holy, all-powerful, full of grace, all-wise, all-just, full of glory. The triune God are in complete equal in attributes, having the same divine nature or essence. They are all fully God, yet not identical. Three in one. Within God, there is both unity and diversity. Unity without uniformity and diversity without division. When I read that, I thought, oh, man, no wonder I have so much trouble understanding this because I was part of a threesome in middle school. Three girls, best friends. Guess what? When there's three, somebody always gets left out. And it's the horrible feeling of being left out. And it was like because I wasn't taught about the glory of this triune God with with the Holy Spirit equal in essence in unity but without uniformity, I kept thinking that, oh, that one is just like over here, and there are these two, and oh, we don't talk too much about, and we don't pray to that one because these are the ones. And it was my misunderstanding. And this is what's been so glorious for me, it's like, Oh Lord, I'm just so glad you just keep pulling off new veils that are clouding my understanding about you. And it does make us love you more. And ladies, this is this knowing God, how we have to keep pursuing and pursuing. and, And he wants to be revealed. Hasn't this weekend just been the glorious invite in the songs we've sung? Come to the table, there's a chair for you. It's an invitation and now we're being invited, let's get to know our Holy Spirit better. Well, we aren't the first generation to have to struggle about this Holy Spirit. Back in AD 500, there was so much controversy around that that the the big wigs got together, the men with the big minds. Uh, Maybe there were women. (laughs) We were And they wrote the Anastasian, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, so if some of you are smarter and more theological than I, Anastasian Creed in 8500, they wrote this, we worship one God in the Trinity and the Trinity in unity. We distinguish among the persons, but we do not divide the substance. The entire three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with one another so that we worship complete unity in trinity and trinity in unity. The differences among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are found in the way they relate to one another and the role each plays in accomplishing their eternal unified purpose. The Father planned, purposed our redemption, the Son procured, purchased our redemption, and the Holy Spirit applies our redemption. God the Father sent the Son, 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus tells his disciples that the Father will send the Spirit. John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. And Jesus himself sends the Spirit. John 15, 26, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me the holy spirit is sent by the father and the son his work is to do the will of the father and the son to teach us to remind us and to bear witness about god the son and god the father so we're going to take a look at three names of the holy spirit now he does not have as many names as jesus but he does have some names. So the first mention of the Spirit is in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is Ruach. And I know that's how it's pronounced because of (laughs) blueletterbible.com. So if you didn't check on that, do it. You can actually hear the guy read it in Greek or Hebrew. Ruach. And guess what Ruach means in Hebrew? It means breath or wind. The breath of God which brings life. Now, we all know the importance of breathing. How many of you have fallen hard on your chest before? And you have that terrifying moment where there is no breath and you don't even remember how to breathe, and it's just horrifying. And I am imagining that there are many in this room, though probably not all, that have waited for that first breath to hear that precious one that you have loved for nine months, take that first breath. And in that moment, it's that joyful feeling, you're alive, you're alive. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are some in this room that have sat beside a bed and watched someone you love take that last breath. And suddenly, they are no more just their shell. We associate breath with life. We know and recognize from the scriptures that God, Elohim, the Father, spoke the word into world into being. God spoke, and it was so. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth All of their hosts. In the work of creation, we see God creating Adam fashioned from the ground. He was given flesh and bone and tissues, but he was not alive, not human, not until God breathed his breath and man became a living soul. Genesis 2.7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The source and origin of life is the breath of God, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Ruach Elohim, the breath of the Almighty, is the power, the force, the instrument or agent of creation. One scholar said it this way, the spirit is the irresistible power by which God accomplishes his purpose. The very source of life is the breath of God. It is the Holy Spirit that is the power of biological life and spiritual life. The power of life flows out of God through the Holy Spirit so that we say, in him we live and move and have our being. Psalm one hundred and four twenty-seven says, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. I love that idea of the Holy Spirit being the breath of God. That's a name for him. And I was thinking about breath. You know that sweet moment when you hold your baby and you get your nose right down there by their sweet little mouth and you smell that breath? Or maybe it's a love of a husband or a love for your parent and you're close enough where there's breath. It's such an intimacy. And I think that by using that term, it's that intimate love that God has for us. His spirit is his breath, his closeness. The Holy Spirit is God's breath. He's the power of our, of our creation, he is also the power of our regeneration, our rebirth from salvation, from darkness to light, from sin and death into God's glorious kingdom. And Jesus explains this truth to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, and jesus answered truly truly i say to you unless one is born of the water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit do not marvel that i said that i said to you you must be born again the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. In the New Testament, spirit is pneuma. And pneuma means breath. Blow, breathe, wind. The spirit of God is invisible, immaterial, and powerful. Exactly like ruach, the spirit mentioned in the Old Testament. It is the invisible power of the Spirit that causes us to be born again. The rebirth that comes from the powerful breath of God that we cannot see, but we know. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Ephesians 1:13 says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised holy spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We are made new, just like the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. We would not, could not be saved without the spirit doing the work in us. I love the salvation account of Saul. Who became Paul. And, you know, he was raging against the church. He had orders. He was headed. He was going to put those guys in prison. He stood at the feet when Stephen was stoned and approved of it all. And now he's on his way and Jesus stops him and a blinding light and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asks Saul asks, who is this? And he says, I am Jesus. And Saul is blind. He goes into the city, and he he can't eat or drink for three days. And and then God tells Ananias, I want you to go, and I want you to talk to Saul. And Ananias, I love that. I love that man. (laughs) He goes, um... (laughs) <laughs> have you heard <laughs> about this Saul? Emma, <laughs> are you sure I'm your man? Because <laughs> I don't think it's going to work out well for me. <laughs> and the Lord says to him, Brother Saul, oh, he tells Ananias, you're going to go and you're going to, and I'm going to tell Saul what all evil have to suffer for my name But I want you to go and I want you to tell him this. So Ananias is obedient trusting the Lord, and he goes to Saul, who became Paul, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized the breath of God, the power of the Holy Spirit came into Saul who became Paul and the blinders were off. He was reborn just as Jesus had been talking to Nicodemus. There is a moment when the scales are taken off. I bet if we paused and we just shared with each other, which we're not going to do because we're under time constraints, which I think I'm going to be over, but you will be forgiving. (laughs) Anyway, I think we can all remember that moment where the scales fell. At least I know I remember. I was saved probably three or four years before true scales came off and I understood my salvation. I was following Jesus, but every week when they gave a salvation call, I felt like I needed to run up there because I was still sinning and I couldn't quite figure that whole thing out. And it wasn't until I, uh, there was a small book written by, I think it was Navigators. Well, it was a campus Christian ministry. It doesn't matter what it was called, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. And someone spoke about the fact that we just need to confess our sins. And it's a daily walk with Jesus that, confession of our sin and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It was the first time that those scales lifted, and I heard the Spirit in my heart say, you are a child of God that will never be taken away from you. And it was that life-changing moment. My spirit was quickened, and The Holy Spirit indwelt me and I knew that. I knew I belonged to Jesus and no sin could separate us. This is what happens when a believer comes to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in power, removes the scale from our eyes. He reveals to us our sin and our desperate need of a Savior. He reveals to us the mind of God the Father who planned and willed our redemption and he reveals to us the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer who died for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Romans 8, 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What a promise. What a joy. The Holy Spirit is the breath at our creation. He is the breath that brings our new life in Christ, our regeneration. And he is also the breath of God who brings us the Holy Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3:16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Did you catch that word there? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That Inspiration is actually talking about breathing. In some of your translations, it will say that all scripture is God-breathed. There it is again, God-breathed. The Spirit gives us the word. The Greek is theanoustos, theanoustos, and it means God-breathed. The scriptures were divinely breathed out by our Lord God through the Holy Spirit and breathed in by the writers and the authors and the hearers. One of the functions of the Spirit is to reveal the truth of God. <clears throat> John sixteen thirteen. when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is the source of the Scriptures, the Word of God. He is the Spirit of truth, guiding us into all truth and revealing to us the mind and the heart and glory of God. Ladies, The Holy Spirit was the power of life that filled you when you took your first breath. He has been active in leading you all along the way to that point in which he breathed into you his Holy Spirit at redemption. And he is the same Spirit who is revealing to us the mind of God our Father and God our Savior. Through the word of God, our scriptures. Do we rejoice in that breath, our Holy Spirit? Are we mindful of him in that way? Do we recognize him at work in our salvation? Do we listen to him, the spirit of truth? Do we treasure the word as the breath of God? His invitation into intimacy to know him? our breath of God, the Holy Spirit. The second name we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit. Holy. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why do we call him holy? Well, holy in the scripture, has two meanings. The, the secondary meaning, secondary meaning, and one that we think of the most, refers to personal righteousness or purity. prime, and we know that God, our Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are completely pure, completely righteous. That is part of their essence. They can't be anything but what they are. But holy's primary meaning is not that. Holy's primary meaning is the idea of other. Isn't that interesting? Other. Holy means other, sacred, apart, separate. We see this in our trying God's transcendent majesty. He is so above us, holy other, sacred, set apart, transcendent. That is our Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's name also points to this work of what he does in our life to make us set apart, to make us holy to make us other, to make us different. His work is to apply our redemption and to make us holy. And this process is called sanctification. Big Christian word, isn't it? And I remember being a young believer and hearing justified and justification and sanctification. And sometimes those can just be like... (laughs) <laughs> I don't get it, you know. <laughs> but that sanctification—what that it was—it's just so wonderful to think about it. That at the moment Jesus Christ becomes your savior, where you have those scales ripped off, and you stand now completely forgiven. In our Christian vocabulary, we call that justified. And as a young girl, it was just as if I had never sinned. It 's the great exchange christ 's perfection, his robes of righteousness are put around me, and now, when God looks at me, he sees his Son in me, and Christ has taken on the filth of Mary knuckles, and when he died on the cross, he died for that. He took my woo, he took my <laughs> sin and shame. And the punishment for my sin from a just and perfect God on Himself. So <laughs> okay, don't do that. <laughs> so that I could be made clean and stand now in His presence. That is that is justification. But then, you know, like Donna was praying, we still go home after today, and suddenly we hit the wall, and we we think, oh Lord, this is so great. I'm getting it, I'm getting it. Boom, I don't have it at all. (laughs) Ah. And this is the long road of sanctification. It's that, that process that we're in until the day we go home to be with Jesus that he who began a good work in you will complete. You are not left to your own devices, ladies. The Holy Spirit is working in us all the rest of our life to transform us into the image of Jesus. And that is is that aspect of the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is at work to make us holy, to sanctify, making us holy. In the book of Acts, the apostles preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. The people heard, and the Holy Spirit opened their eyes and hearts, and they repented and were baptized. The Spirit's work at that time was immediately manifested in the speaking of tongues and prophesying. God was building his church. Today... The Holy Spirit may still choose to work that way. However, it is the fruit of the Spirit that is the necessary evidence of God's work in a person's life. It is not whether or not we are speaking in tongues, it is whether or not there is evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it's fruit, not fruits. We don't get to just choose, well, I'm going to work on love today because it is all of them and the Holy Spirit is the one that can do that work. I mean, come on. If he can do creation, if he can do, <laughs> if he can do regeneration, if he can do the Holy Word of God, he can build this fruit, not us. We are attached to that vine. It is him at work building this fruit. And that fruit is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love that keep in step with the Spirit. That's like walking. Walking. That's like every day. That indicates, hey, this is a process, girls. This is the rest of our life. And I think we all know it, right? The Holy Spirit reveals, illumines, corrects, teaches. I love that quote by Tozer. He is the kindest, sweetest teacher. He loves us and desires us to know God, to know his heart to please him, to live our lives in accordance with his will. This is the transforming, sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in us. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 that we have to partner with him. Philippians 2, 12 to 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. That is not fear, trembling that you have a hard taskmaster. And if you don't shape up and start being more fruitful, you're out. It isn't that. We fear the Lord because we love him so much, and he is so glorious that we don't want any sin to come and separate us. We are the ones that separate ourselves by sinning. We run away. Because we know we have a faithful God that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a role to play in working with the Holy Spirit. We must listen and obey. God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us But we must work with him. Paul states in Romans 8, 5 through 6, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Who are you letting govern your mind? When I'm struggling, whatever it is, God, through his Holy Spirit, meets me where I am and leads me by revealing his word and applying it to my life. Then the spirit of truth gives me his power to overcome that sin or struggle. It is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So it is power indeed. I had an unbeliever in my house on Easter. I extended the invite. This is a person that I have my whole life. I'm, uh, yes, there's, I think I shared this once before. So it's an ongoing struggle. And her first remarks were mocking our Lord. And I was furious. I can only describe my heart as full of uh, uh, it's a strong word. Okay, I can't even say it. Strong dislike. <laughs> and I was furious and it spoiled my time. And the Lord in that in that anger, the Lord reminded me, I, I actually apologized because I thought I set myself up for this by sharing the love of my Savior verbally when I knew her response is already rejection. And I can continue to show love to her, but I... I I, I reviled her in that moment in my comment, and that's for what I apologized. But afterwards, the Holy Spirit, what did he bring to mind? He was like a sheep before his shears, silent. The guards put on a crown with thorns. They flogged him, they spit on him, The elders and priests reviled him at the foot of the cross. And Christ's response? Silent. And then he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. My instant reaction was, bring out the good. (laughs) And, And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, where he he then convicts and says, oh, Mary, 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 no, look here. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know me. I have a person in my life that has acreage, beautiful home. I've lived and remodeled my whole life. <laughs> has all five kids. One's in Stanford. One's going on a they're all musicians, they have their own little band. And um, you know what, every time I go, I come home with this heavy heart of, <laughs> 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 Mary Lynn, you were talking about, how is this your way, you know, for me? And, and then the Holy Spirit comes and reminds me, oh Mary, I've given you everything. This is temporary. And Paul saying, I learned how to be content, whether in want or in plenty. And I'm cut again to the quick. And the Holy Spirit, that is his role, ladies. He's applying my redemption, and every time it is reminding me of my redemption. Um in Ephesians 3:16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Because the spirit is a person, we can grieve him. Ephesians 4.30 said, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose to turn away from his guidance, to refuse to hear his voice and obey. When we do not accept his work in our life, when we reject what the word of God has to say to us, we grieve him. He loves us, and he desires to make us new. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Even though we stumble and fail, the Holy Spirit, blessed Holy Spirit, continues to work in us and we are being transformed and changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, it is able to judge the thoughts and inte- He is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is a quote by Spurgeon. But oh, how wise the Holy Spirit is! He takes the soul, lays it on the table and dissects it in a moment. He finds out the root of the matter, he sees where the complaint is, and then he applies the knife where something is required to be taken away, or puts a plaster where the sore is, and he never mistakes. Oh, how wise is the blessed Holy Spirit. Ladies, we are indwelt by our trying God. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This is a quote by John MacArthur. Those who love Christ and not only are and are not only indwelt. No. Let me start again. <laughs> Those who love Christ are not only indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Christ and the Father, but the believer enjoys a supernatural union with them as well. Jesus illustrates this union by comparing it with his relationship to the Father. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. We are one with God and Christ. That's why sin is so out of place in the believer's life. That's all the more reason why we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of our transformation. Do you know the Holy Spirit as a person? Or do you think of him as just a remote force at work? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you every day? Do you listen to his leading? Do you seek his power to will and to do God's good pleasure? Are you grieving him right now by refusing his counsel, his teaching in some way? He will never leave us, but we certainly can crowd him out of our lives. Ignore him or seek to live our own way. Do you need today to ask him to fill you anew? We need to thank our Lord for his Holy Spirit. And we're coming to the last Our last title for the weekend, The Holy Spirit, Our Helper. We're going to be looking in John chapter 14, which is so full. And this was a time Jesus is speaking to his disciples the day before he was crucified. And I can only imagine the holy incarnate God now with his little brood. These are his last words. And he's already told them. I'm going to be leaving you. You're going to, you're going to, um, oh man, don't you hate it when a word. You're all going to not betray. What's the other word? Depart from me. That's another word. Oh well, it doesn't matter. They're all going to scatter. They're all going to not betray, but what's that other word? (laughs) Anyway, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about. Someone's, He tells them, one of you is going to betray me. You're all going to desert me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be killed. So he's told them this. He was leaving them. For three years they'd walked together from all these different walks of life. They would experienced walking with God like Adam did and Eve did in the garden. Here was the perfect one who had taken on flesh and they could ask him anything. And, and if they saw a problem coming, I mean, they, they watched him heal the lame, give sight to the blind, raise the dead. Wa- they would watched him feed the thousands. And he'd, they'd been the privileged ones to sit close to him. And even Peter, James, and John were those special ones that he drew in in a tighter circle just before this, they're all arguing about who's going to get to sit next to him. Because they still were thinking an earthly kingdom. They still were thinking, Messiah, the ruler, we're finally going to conquer. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going. And I can only imagine the hearts of these people. Don't believe what?
1: But now Jesus is a
0: Spurgeon, but now that Jesus was to depart out of the world unto the Father, they would be deprived of their fortress and high tower. They would be, as children, bereft the of their father, or at best, as soldiers without a general. Here was a sad case. Work given and power withdrawn. A battle beginning and the conquering captain leaving, John 14, 15 to 31 is all about this, but I'm going to be reading just a few of those verses. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus said he would ask the Father, and he would send them another helper. Jesus, their teacher, their friend, their helper was leaving, but here Jesus gives them hope. Another in the Greek is a loss and it means someone exactly the same. Jesus is saying, I am sending you one exactly the same essence as myself. Jesus is, said that he would send the Spirit who would have the same attributes of the Father and of the Son because he is God, just like Jesus. That word that Jesus uses here for the Holy Spirit is parakletos, which is translated, and we probably have a variety of translations here. It can be translated helper, advocate, comforter, counselor. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical power. He is a person as much as Jesus is a person. Not only would the Holy Spirit come to dwell with them, he would never leave. Once the Spirit of God resides within a believer, he is there forever. Mm -hmm. Now the Spirit... As our helper, which means to come alongside, he is not just alongside of us. He is indwelling us. He's always with us. You know, my husband, who I dearly love, he um, was with my dad, who I dearly love, the two most important men in my life, and my daddy. Oh my goodness, I miss that man. He just was. He was such a good example of a heavenly father. Anyway, my husband and my father are driving along in the truck. They've just gone to Sashador to get some lumber. They're flying down to Eldridge. And all of a sudden, no talking, my dad pulls over to the side of the road and jumps out of the truck, leaving the truck running. And my husband's looking, what happened? And he turns around and watches my father run across the street, help a man put his lawn mower in the back of his truck, and run back across the street, hop in the truck, and take off without a word. And that changed my husband's life. And it is such a good example of being a helper, to come alongside. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an invitation again, ladies. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and we're yoked together. And he is willing to work with us and yoked up he shoulders the burden of our daily lives. He comes along and helps us with those burdens first peter five says five seven says, <clears throat> cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast means to roll off of roll off and on to him. The Lord Jesus loved his disciples so much that he would not allow them to be left orphans. Jesus knows us intimately and loves us. And he not only saved us, but he's given us one exactly like himself to come alongside to help and to be with us forever. How many times in this last year have you longed for a helper? Someone that could come alongside and shoulder that burden of this last year with you. I hope you have found your Holy Spirit to do that. We had a couple of big crashes and burns this last year. Um, March 10th when everything closed, my sweet mama who is failing with her dementia, we were closed off from being with her. She suffers a lot from anxiety with her dementia and gets kind of violent, and I thought, Lord, how is this possible? Because one of us kids was there every single day from 4 o'clock until she crawled into bed, which was her worst time, and we'd tuck her in and sing and pray with her, and we could no longer go in, and I was terrified. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says, I will be with you all the way to the end, even to your gray hairs. I love that. He's with my mama, and he has proved faithful in being with her. We talk to her every day outside a window with a baby monitor that has walkie-talkie capabilities. Downside is she's practically deaf, but at least we don't have to wear our masks when we're talking through a window. And she's at the point now where she can wave and say hello, and cognitively that's about it. It's a great day when I hear my mom say hi, honey, and I love you. We all share the videos with each other so we can all feel loved. It was a year that I needed the Holy Spirit to be that helper. And he so faithfully has. And in June, we um, had been watching our little five-year-old granddaughter, Rosalie Jo, <clears throat> and she was having some medical issues that were Alarming, and then my sweet daughter-in-law called and said, we are to take Rosie to Children's immediately. Um, they found a huge mass on her kidney, and they were 98% sure it was Wilms' tumor. And I, we ran down south where they live and picked up our Emmeline, who is three years old, And suddenly the whole world stopped, and I thought, oh Lord, not again, not again, not again, not again, not again. I longed for my helper. I needed my helper. And so faithful as our Holy Spirit is, he reminded me, don't go forward, Mary. Stay here. I have this trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So we had a little three-year-old that we were living with, and for one week we all just were stunned. And that precious little girl went down to Children's Hospital and had to undergo all kinds of horrific things. They removed her kidney and then they went through the process of pathology. All the oncology doctors said, Yeah, we're pretty sure this is Wilms' tumor. <clears throat> and then it was a week later, <coughs> excuse me, that we got a FaceTime from our son and they had already put in, Rosie had gone in for two surgeries, one to have her kidney removed, and then they had to put in the port. And my son, on a Facebook post, he said, (laughs) it's benign, like they only have 12 of these particular types of tumors recorded ever. And probably there are a whale of a lot more, but they didn't have the technology to actually determine, and so those children went on to experience all that chemotherapy. And Rosie was spared. You know, and I thought, Lord, this is amazing. Thank you, thank you. And in the same time, I thought, but I've been there when the the diagnosis wasn't good. And even then, we can trust in our Heavenly Father. We can trust in the Savior who redeemed us. And we can trust that our Holy Spirit will be our helper and our comforter. And he was and he is and he evermore shall be. We have a helper. The Holy Spirit is also our advocate. An advocate is one who, it's a legal term, pleads our case before a righteous judge. The scripture teachers teaches that Jesus is our advocate before the Father, and the Spirit is also our advocate. He testifies to our hearts that we belong to God. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of, the, of God are the children of God. For the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God the holy spirit advocates advocates for god against sin john 16:7 to 9 says but very truly i tell you it is for you your good that i am going away unless i go away the advocate will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and when he comes he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment The Holy Spirit comes in and illuminates the word and puts his finger and does that cutting away of sin in our life. Romans 8 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. He prays to the Father for us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor. He takes the word of God and reveals it to us. He makes the promises of God precious to our heart. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. God purposed. He promised. Christ redeemed. He purchased the Holy Spirit. He takes that word of God and reveals those promises and makes them ours. 1 Corinthians 2 says, What no eye has seen not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. This is what we speak, not in words taught (coughs) us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. When we face trials and burdens, Our Holy Spirit, our Comforter, reminds us of the words and the mind of our Savior and of our Father. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So when I'm wrapped with fear... He reminds me of Isaiah 41.10, which I just shared with you, so do not fear, for I am with you. When I'm struggling against sin, he reminds me of the promise of his armor in Ephesians 6:10 through 19. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Fasten on the belt of truth. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth. And when I'm in deep sorrow, he whispers Psalm 23 to my heart. The Lord is my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. First Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's a promise. That's a promise. Jesus said in John 16, 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit teaches us about God the Father and God the Son. He uses the God-breathed Word and illuminates it. He reveals the truth and comforts us with the promises and the words of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit uses what has already been revealed in the Word. The Word is complete. And right there, that's one thing to remember. If anyone teaches you something other than what is in the Word, you can know it is not the Holy Spirit speaking. So Beberians, Burians, however you say that, those devout students, check the word. Spurgeon said, The Holy Spirit does not reveal anything fresh now. He brings old things to remembrance. The canon of revelation is closed. There is no more to be added. God does not give a fresh revelation but he rivets the old one. When it has been forgotten and laid in the dusty chamber of our memory, he fetches it out and cleans the picture, but does not paint a new one. There are no new doctrines, but the old ones are often revived. It is not, I say, by any new revelation that the Spirit comforts. He does so by telling us old things over again, he brings a fresh lamp to the ma- to manifest the treasures hidden in scripture. He unlocks the strong chests in which the truth has long lain, and he points to a secret chamber filled with untold riches. But he coins no more, for enough is done. Believer, there is enough in the Bible for thee to live upon forever. And the Holy Spirit in his sanctifying work helps us, intercedes for us, comforts us, and gives us hope and power. His power. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of this Holy Spirit. God's power, even the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is given to us through the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses full of hope. Like Jessica said earlier about um, how we have that hope and how hope has diminished in different generations due to what's going on in the world, but we have a hope that we can share. Ephesians 3.14 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. Do you see the grace and the great love that we have been given in the person of the Holy Spirit? His presence in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, allows us to experience the fullness and the glorious union with our triune God and to know fully that we are his beloved children. I love that it's an invitation to that union. And the Holy Spirit brings us in because of the work of Jesus, because of the plan of God. And we get to experience that. And Thomas Goodwin was quoted by John Piper, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and Tim Keller. And it was this story that they all used about um, the relationship, this experience that we have, being called because the Spirit indwells us and reminds us that we are children of God. This is the explanation that Thomas Goodwin wrote. He was a Puritan writer, and this is what he said. A man and his little child are walking down the road, and they are walking hand in hand. And the child knows that he is the child of his father, and he knows that his father loves him, and he rejoices in that, and he is happy in it. There is no uncertainty about it at all. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of the child and picks him up and snuggles him close, kisses him, embraces him, showers his love upon him, and then puts him down again. And they go on walking together. That is it. The child knew before that his father loved him, and he knew that he was his child. But oh, the loving embrace, this extra outpouring of love, this unusual manifestation of it, that is the kind of thing, the spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Oh, we have been swept up into the arms of our Heavenly Father and loved and kissed and cherished. When Jesus baptizes a person with the Holy Spirit, Lloyd-Jones says, the person is carried not only from doubt to belief, but to certainty, to awareness of the presence and the glory of God. The glorious triune God loves us. He made us, he knows us, he died for us, he gave us new birth, he is making us new, holy, set apart, sanctified. He will be with us to the end, and on that day when we breathe our last breath, we will see him face to face. John Piper said, from new birth at a point in time to new creation in eternity future, We owe everything good that comes into our lives to the wise planning of God the Father, the merciful purchase of God the Son, and the transforming power of God the Spirit. So we end as we began. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. 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 Amen.
1: Amen. I just wanted to read How God is Sovereign. It's been a very weekend.